Real Nerds is a proud partner of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. You're listening to Denver Orbit, featuring voices. I'm going to give you an awkwardly long and uncomfortable list of reasons why you shouldn't shave outside. Stories. Now, he was very outspoken about the effects of, of war on himself. The music from Colorado's creative community. Listen at DenverOrbit.com or on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or most other podcast apps. Oh, hi, podcast listeners. There's many ways you can listen to the Real Nerds podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can also subscribe on Stitcher Radio. You want to send us a Twitter message? You can do that. It's so easy. At Real Nerds. Like us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. You can visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com, where there will be a lot of articles for you to not only read, but to listen to our previous shows. You can also call us, 720-6Nerds5. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Jonathan Tiersten from The Perfect House and Sleepaway Camp, and you are listening to The Real Nerds Podcast. Podcast, unofficially the official podcast of Denver Pop Culture Con 2020 and beyond. I'm your host, Brad, and this week I'm joined by Zach for another Brad and Zach ruin the show. Infamous, infamously terrible episode. This is horrible. You guys don't want to be here. Like, just turn off your fucking episode and just go find something else. How, how did this get made? Must have a great episode <laughs> this week. Why aren't you listening to them? Uh, this week we watched Child's Play and Annabelle. What's the subtitle on this Annabelle one? Annabelle Comes Home. Okay. Annabelle's so rodeo. memorable. Annabelle's Roundup. Yeah. <laughs> Annabelle's Rodeo. Uh, uh, yeah. No. Creepy doll double feature on the show today. A lot of doll movies these past two weeks. I know. Toy Story, Child's Play, Annabelle. Yeah. If I don't get a Charlie McCarthy movie soon, I'm going to sue somebody. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, but we also talk about other things on this show. It's not just us being boring assholes. Yeah, we talk about movie news. Blu-ray, 4K releases, what we've been watching. There's nothing in Blu-rays this week. I'll spoil that right now. <laughs> um, and also, uh, there's a recurring segment from Corinne that we uh, forgot last week, but I managed to splice it in on the fly. Uh, but uh, this week... On the fly. <laughs> on don't the don't fly. ever say on the fly again, please. Reminds me of the fly. <laughs> the, the, I say it like that. Uh, uh, you know what I am? I'm on Jeff Goldblum. That's what I am. I'm on Jeff Goldblum. Not the fly. Jeff Goldblum. And we've got another recurring segment. Uh, this one's Catching the Classics by Corinne, where she's focusing on the classics of Miyazaki. And this week, she's talking about Ponyo. Hey, nerds. Corinne here for part 20.7 of Catching the Classics which is actually part seven of Catching the Miyazaki Classics, where I'm going through all of the films that have been directed by Hayao Miyazaki. This week, I tackled the one that you all like to say is the one for babies, and that is Ponyo, or sometimes called, uh, I think it's like Ponyo on the Cliff or something like that. But um, anyway, so I just, oh my gosh, this movie is just freaking beautiful. It's just 
so well animated and uh, oh my gosh. Uh, anyway, um, so this is one of the Miyazaki movies I had seen previously, although it had been a while, and actually, I've seen Nostalgia Critics' review of Ponyo more than I've seen the actual movie, so going back and rewatching it, I was like, oh, dang, and I just kept thinking of, like, all the Nostalgia Critic jokes and comments that he makes about different parts of the movie, um, but, okay, so a quick synopsis, Ponyo, um, is a goldfish mermaid sort of thing. It's like a, it's a goldfish, but she has the face of a human and she is, escapes from her like evil wizard dad, Fujimoto, um, who like lives underwater and she goes to the surface and she forms this connection with this little boy, Sosuke. And then, um, her dad, uh, is looking for her and eventually finds her and takes her back to the ocean. And she's like, no, I want to go back to the surface world. I want to be with Sosuke. And then she eventually breaks free and goes back to the surface world and um, tries to become a human and live with Sosuke. And anyway, it's freaking adorable. And it's very, um, it's very Little Mermaid. And I, I know that for a fact because uh, Hayao Miyazaki has said that he kind of developed the film after he saw Disney's The Little Mermaid adaptation. And there are a couple of references to the original Hans Christian Andersen. There's some line in there about um, if uh, Ponyo, like, because she, you know, she's supposed to be this sea creature, but she wants to be human. And by living in the human world, she throws things out of balance. And her parents, uh, Fujimoto, and um, who's played by Liam Neeson, and um, the Goddess of Mercy, who's voiced by Kate Blanchett, um, try to put things into balance, and they say that if Ponyo, um, you know, can't live in the human world, she'll turn into sea foam, which I was like, oh yeah, that's from the Hans Christian Andersen version. Um, this is a, this is a pretty good voice cast. You got Liam Neeson, Kate Blanchett, you got two kids who are voicing Ponyo and Sosuke. Um, I think it's Frankie Jonas is the voice of Sosuke, and oh, I can't remember her name, but she voices Ponyo. And um, Matt Damon and Tina Fey are in it as well. Betty White is in it. Cloris Leachman's in it. This is a really good voice cast. Um, so it, that that aspect of the movie is solid. And as I said, the animation on this is just holy shit. Like it is. I thought like like I said, I've seen this movie before, and I don't remember it being so beautifully animated. But holy jeez. Whenever, like, Ponyo is, like, coming out of the ocean the second time, and she's, like, running around and trying to get back to Sosuke, and there's this whole, like, Ride of the Valkyries type of thing going on with her and her sisters, which, like I said, that was another thing that was, like, oh, she has sisters and no brothers, just like Ariel and the Little Mermaid, so that was kind of cute, but, um, yeah, it's, th that whole freaking sequence is just gorgeous. This, this whole movie is gorgeous. Everybody should go watch it. I know the the nerds like to put it down because it's for babies, but it really, yes, it is definitely more directed to kids. The two main characters are like five years old, and it, they definitely feel and talk like five-year-olds, which on the one hand is a little bit annoying sometimes, and on the other hand it's like, well, I mean, I wouldn't expect five-year-olds to act and talk like, you know, 17-year-olds, so, I mean, it's appropriate. So, I think... Little kids would really like this movie. Maybe. I don't know. It probably depends on the kid. But um, 
I think adults would just appreciate the the animation that went into this. It's just oh, it's so beautiful. And I haven't really talked a lot about Joe Hisaishi in this series, but he's the composer on like almost all of these Hayao Miyazaki movies that I'm talking about. And holy shit, does he pull out all the stops for this movie. Every single song on like that comes up in the movie is like, oh geez. Like it just puts you right in. There's like a three to five minute sequence at the very beginning of the movie where there's no dialogue. It's just the visuals and it's the music. And it really puts you into the world and it's this fantastical, but it's also kind of like an earthly sort of thing because yes, this kind of, you know, a lot of it takes place like on land in the real world with like cars and phones and radios and stuff like that. But so much of the movie has this like fantastical undertone because you've got like Fujimoto, the wizard, and you've got a goddess of mercy, and you've got fish who can use magic and all sorts of fun stuff. So, <sighs> um, is there anything bad about the movie? Like I said, the two lead characters are kids, and there are a couple of times where you're just like, okay, let's kind of keep moving here. Um, cause there's a sequence about, I want to say two thirds of the way through the movie where they're, it's the two kids and, uh, Sosuke's mom, who's voiced by Tina Fey, they're at home and they're riding out the storm and there's just like a 10 or 15 minute sequence of them just doing regular kind of household things of eating food, turning on the generator, calling some guy on the radio, some guy, it's Sosuke's dad, but anyway, and it's like, okay, this is, like, it's kind of nice because it's a nice little character beat, but at the same time, it's a lot of time spent with tiny children. So you're like, okay, let's just kind of keep moving this along here. Um, and I do have to agree with Nostalgia Critic that Sosuke's mom is kind of the worst. Um, she's not, like, a bad person, but there are just a lot of things that she does that are very annoying, and you're like oh my gosh, like, why would a parent ever do that? Like, she abandons two kids in the middle of a storm, five-year-olds at that, two five-year-olds in the middle of a storm to go help the old people, and you're like, oh my gosh, no! <laughs> Stay with the children! Jeez, Louise, lady, and yeah, her driving is atrocious, so that's probably the biggest complaints I have about the movie, is that there are kids, there are a couple of times where they're a little annoying, and then her, her, uh, Sosuke's mom is kind of crazy. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, this movie is, it's adorable, and yes, it's for kids, but I don't think an adult would watch it and be bored. I think if you go into it, you know, wanting to just kind of have a simple story of, you know, two kids finding each other, even though they're from different worlds, and just beautiful animation. It's like, again, it's like The Little Mermaid, but for five-year-olds and set in the modern day, more or less. Um, and this is also, like I said last week, this is one of the more recent Miyazaki movies. This is from 2008. I think this is his second most recent film before The Wind Rises, if I remember correctly. So you can kind of tell, like, it benefits from that. Like, the colors pop a little bit more the art direction and the like the cinematography of the movie is a little bit better than it is in the older Miyazaki movies so yeah all around this is just, it's a fun time 
It's a cute, adorable movie. It's visually just stunning. It has beautiful music. It has a talented voice cast. Like, there really aren't a lot of bad things to say about it. So, you guys can keep hating on it all you want, but you just know that you're in the wrong on that front. So, I'm going to give Ponyo a B+. Because I had about as much fun with it as I did with Porco Rosso, but I do think there are a couple of things that keep it from being on, like, the A tier. So next week, I think I'm going to do a kind of a double feature, so that way we're doing this in ten parts. And I'm going to watch um, and review Kiki's Delivery Service and My Neighbor Totoro. So I uh, hope you all had fun, and I will talk to you next time. Bye! I don't care what you said. I, I still think it's uh, The Little Mermaid for babies. You, you, you're just mean. You're just a mean, sad... It's nothing personal against Corinne. I just, you know, hey. I was really excited about another Miyazaki movie, and I went to watch it, and I was just like, oh my god, this is so simple. Can I ask you a personal question? When did the joy in your heart die? When I was born. Oh, okay. So this was never going to be a movie for you <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I like Ponyo. It's fine. I know it's for kill- I know it's for kids, but, you know... Hey, he's allowed to make what he wants. Beautifully drawn, tells the story properly, gets it done. Yeah. Has a catchy theme at the end. Uh, But if you want to uh, read more about what Corinne's thoughts are on the classics, she is also doing companion blogs about these movies on the website. Mm -hmm. And she's also doing a lot of articles on her Showtime segment her, her article on rom-coms is one of the best things i've read on this website yeah it's pretty popular <laughs> so definitely go to the website check those out um yeah good stuff yeah it's perfect Brad, uh, what else do we do around here uh speaking of around here let's go around town with what i'm doing around town hey film buddies follow me around denver All right, Brad, what is going on around town? This week at the drive-in, they're repeating the Toy Story, Godzilla, Toy Story 4, Godzilla, and uh, Aladdin lineup. Right on. So, so, status quo for it. Gotcha. I did it. It was fun. There you go. Um, and and then, remember, it's nine bucks for three movies, guys. And those are first-run features. That's right. Under the Stars, fun, consistent stands. And great hamburgers, by the way. Those are great burgers for are they? just like, I, dude. I I ate like they got three good of pizza them for, too. I ate three of them for Avengers. It was awesome. Yeah. And the oh yeah, the pizza is good too. Yeah, they got pizza. They got cotton candy. They got have you churros. Had the, have you had the fried dough? Fried dough. They do fried dough there. You mean the funnel cake? The funnel cake. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, sorry, my bad. <laughs> what did you eat, Zach? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm starting to feel a little tingly in my left arm. <laughs> you have like a little hot plate in the back of the car. You just got one of those cookie dough sheets and just put it on there and like yeah, I also singe have, it a little. I also have a stovetop hat with the with the rim cut out, and then I've got a little big big bushy beard and a can of baked beans off to the side. Um, Call me Hobo's East. Yeah, and then uh, this week, the Midnights at the Mayan are back, or not the Midnights, that's 20 years old, uh, Midnights at the Esquire are back, um, yeah. starting with Alien. Ooh. So I'll be checking that out. Ridley Scott's Alien, not Covenant, not Prometheus, but Alien. Um, it's fine yeah. if you like those other ones, but Yeah, Alien. Friday, Saturday at midnight at the Esquire, uh, definitely go see their new facility. Speaking of new facilities... 
Ooh. Uh, between last episode and this one, I got to go see the new Alamo Draft House in Westminster. Oh, you lucky bitch. Uh, which has a Art Deco Metropolis uh, tell inspired me. look to it. So tell me, why is it that they make a movie theater that's designed only for me and they don't <laughs> invite me and they make the tour on a day that I have to work? Are you a real nerd? I am a real nerd. Well, then you were invited. Oh, so then it's just you guys chose not to tell me. It was in the email. Okay, then I'm just an idiot. Yeah, you need to check your email. Okay. Oh, well, I mean, you just confirmed what every doctor <laughs> I got a me. personal email because I've been to 50-plus movies at the Alamo <laughs> oh, this year. La-dee-da. <laughs> so I got a separate invitation, but... Um, no, the photos you took were amazing, and um, I, just the fact that we have a metropolis... Uh, uh, inspired statue in a movie theater in Colorado is is a testament to what the Alamo can accomplish. Yeah, and uh, so June thirtieth, which I think this will air after that, um, they've already started doing screen pre screenings, you know, training days. So, um, you know, go on there. I think they have discounts on food and admissions. Mm. Um, overall, the theater will be some screenings will be more expensive than you're used to because this theater. Uh, among the Denver ones has uh, a new feature called the big show. And that's basically like, if you've ever been to the uh, Cine Capri mm-hmm. at Harkins, this is kind of like their version of it. It's not as big seating wise, but uh, it, uh, it's, it's their version of IMAX and Atomos ah. or Atmos. Um, so the sound system is, you know, overkill and uh, the screen's bigger than, this is the biggest screen of all the Alamos in Denver, um, but it's pretty cool. And like the entrance is like this open mouth from Metropolis, mm. uh, like statue entrance oh. thing. Yeah, oh. sculpture. Uh, it's pretty sweet. I'm just gonna head over there and break in now and take a look around. And their lobby has basically a mini Mondo store. So Oof. yeah, so if you're a Mondo fan, you're gonna want to check that out. Yeah, t-shirts. Pine glasses, vinyl records, like they had the Back of the Future 2 one there, and I was like, I can't do 40 bucks right now, but yeah, it's, someday. It's, it's great that I don't have to ship this, and uh, Jaws socks. Uh, some guy was buying the Thing board game, which I guess was out of print. Oh, the uh, Outbreak at Post 13 or something like that? Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's supposed to be a very fun board game. Yeah, and apparently really uh, rare, so he picked that up, obviously. I think there's still copies of it available at the Littleton location but we're not talking about that we're talking about the Westminster location yeah so um yeah go check it out uh it's basically where the old Westminster mall was so at this point Alamo just needs to now make a Jack Benny themed Alamo right next to me and then they'll have done absolutely everything they possibly have could have done in Denver yeah just right next to the house you know bulldoze all those other houses and just put it right there but no that sounds cool right on um what should we do next? Uh, I guess we'll do some movie news. Movie news. It's real news. Uh, we had some deaths. Uh, one uh, related to one of your latest watches. Uh, the dad from Elf died. Uh, actor Max Wright passed That's away right. at the age of 75. Uh, like I said, he's been known as the dad from ALF, uh, but he was also on other shows like Norm, Murphy Brown, Friends, Quantum Leap, uh, Cheers, Taxi, Drew Carey Show. Uh, he was also in other, fi- he was in films too. He was in All That Jazz, Snowing, Snow Falling on Cedars, Reds, The Sting 2, Soul Man, and uh, Zach's personal guilty pleasure, The Shadow. So uh, yeah, uh, 
you know, and he was Tony nominated. Like this guy, this guy ran the gamut. He was a professional actor. Um, 75 years old. He will definitely be missed. It looks like Alf won that feud. (laughs) (laughs) I heard they did not get along. (laughs) Didn't he strangle the puppet at one point? Yeah. Oh God. (laughs) But yeah, Um, Alf's going to outlive all of them. Um, but yeah. And then, uh, also Billy Drago passed away. Um, uh, he it was the he was the hitman Frank Nitti in uh, Brian De Palma's Son of Ivan Drago. No, no, it's he wasn't the star of Creed two. Um, <laughs> the dad of Ivan Drago. Maybe <laughs> we don't know what Drago's dad was. I just assumed Drago uh, Ivan Drago was just created in like a in a factory. Yeah, yeah you know, kind of like Scott Evil. Um, <laughs> well, actually, no, that's not true because we found out he is actually Frau Forbis and his son. Anyway, we're talking about Billy Drago. Uh, he passed away. Uh, at he was seventy three. He was Frank Nitti in Brian De Palma's Untouchables flick, which uh, you know he's. It's one of the more noticeable hitmen in that movie. Uh, but he was also on Masters of Horror. He did an episode of Masters of Horror. Um, and he worked with Clint Eastwood, Michael Jackson, Takashi McKay, and Chuck Norris. So he, he ran the gamut and a bunch of different stuff. So g- wonderful character actor. Uh, began his career in Kansas radio um, as an Associated Press journalist. Um, and then he had his own program and stuff. But, you know, again, one of these guys, a journeyman who, like, worked the gamut and did everything. So big bucket of win. Billy Drago will be missed. Uh, maybe it makes me want to watch the untouchables again and watch him in it. Um, so on to the, uh, news of the day. Um, so we got two trailers. Uh, we'll start with the fluff one, which is Charlie's angels. And I don't mean that derogatorily. It's just cause the other one has a little bit more baggage with it. Uh, but the Charlie's angels one, uh, Elizabeth Banks directing and, uh, apparently wrote the script for the Charlie's angels reboot, which has Kristen Stewart, Naomi Scott and Ella Balinska. Um, it looks fun. Um, it, Definitely feels different than the McG of it all from back in the day. Uh, so I don't know if that's going to piss off James or make James very excited for this movie. Um, I like the idea of Elizabeth Banks being Bosley. Sounds like a lot of fun. And Patrick Stewart's in the trailer, but I have no idea what he's doing there. So uh, I think he... Villain? I, he, well, it sounds like he's like heading MI6. Bosley? No. No, he'd be Charlie. Charlie, yeah. But Charlie doesn't sound like Patrick Stewart in the trailer. So, um, But I think Stewart's like the head of MI6 or something because they, they recruit everybody for the Angels in the trailer. So, um, But it looks like fun. And I like seeing Kristen Stewart do things to try to break out of the mold that we unfortunately had to put her in with uh, Twilight. But, you know, I mean, she's a, sol- she's a solid actor, as is future Batman Robert Pattinson. So... Uh, we'll see how the, no, but the trailer that has a little bit more loaded baggage is, uh, we got a trailer for the current war with Benedict Cumberbatch and Michael Shannon, uh, which is an Edison biopic, um, and, or Edison Westinghouse feud biopic. Uh, the reason this has baggage is because this is one of the last films to be touched by noted monster Harvey Weinstein before the, uh, articles broke out that finally took that bastard down. Um, this film was picked up and was now it it's touched been, with consent. Boo. Boo. Can't believe you just walked right over that. Go home. Um uh bad joke, Brad. Um no, the uh but yeah, the You're film a bad joke. <laughs> I am a joke. Uh but this the, but the film is being released and apparently it has been restored to what the director wanted and not what Harvey wanted. So that is good news is that there is a it's not a it's not like a silver lining necessarily, but it is good to know that this film that would have been otherwise mangled for some different purpose has now been constructed back into what it was supposed to be. Um, so yeah, you want to check it out. It is not from a like a major res- distributor or anything. I think it's a smaller company putting it out. So this might end up being a VOD thing for all I know. Um, but uh, but the trailer looked interesting. Um, definitely 
uh, Benedict Cumberbatch like pulling some major action chops out of there, as is the eternally creepy Michael Shannon. So, you know, there you go. You can watch those if you want. Uh, we'll move into a little TV news. Um, the Office is being pulled from Netflix in 2021 because it's going to insert Michael Scott yelling no, no, no meme. <laughs> And insert a, a zoom in of me as Jim looking like, you know, you can't see it on the podcast. Insert Jim it? face. Yeah. And then, um, and then Stanley going, uh, but no, uh, yeah. Cause it's going to NBC universal streaming service. Uh, and apparently, uh, the, the universal company that owned it, um, got paid 500 million by NBC to buy the rights back. So if you ever watched the office on Netflix yet, be sure to watch it before 2021. Cause that's when it's going away for good. Or just buy the DVDs. Exactly. Uh, physical media, guys, will not... You will no longer be held hostage by the streaming service if you buy physical copies, which are relatively affordable if you go to Target. So Yeah, last time I checked that set, I saw it as... What? Nine seasons. I think it was 40 bucks. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty good. And they still had all the bonus features and whatnot. And you can do that for most series. I think like the most expensive series that I've seen there are like Star Trek ones. And it's just... Not HD though. That's unfortunate. And I, I know from season five on they did HD. Mm. Um, but I wish they would remaster the first four. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe they're remastered on Netflix. You know, they're, they're zoomed in and cropped, I guess. But they're holding you hostage. But but you can like curtail them a little bit by accepting poor quality. But you know, I'm I'm, I'm not selling the DVDs. Well, buy the DVDs. Um, also, Scream the Scream TV show. Uh, is finally going to be showing its third season via VH1. Um, it uh, it was. I'm trying to think of exactly. I'm, I'm trying to see exactly what happened here, but it left after season two. Like they made a season three, and then it just was never released. But now it's coming back to VH1, and apparently in the trailer you see the original uh, Scream mask. So I didn't watch the Scream TV show. I like the movies. Um, so you know, if you're a fan of the Scream TV show, you might be able to check that out. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't watch VH1, so I have no idea if it falls in line with their programming. <laughs> um, and uh, lastly, for television, which is mostly streaming, uh, the Star Trek Picard series has engaged Michael Chabon to be a showrunner, which I like this idea because I think Michael Chabon is a very talented fella. Uh, if you ever read a book called The Amazing Adventures of Caliber and Clay, um, he definitely has a has a good storytelling sense. So. Um, I don't know what this means in terms of making a good Star Trek show, but, you know. It means they're still writing it. Holy shit. Yeah. I thought we had a trailer. We were ready to go with this. Oh, no, no. It, that's an Indiegogo trailer. That's to make sure they got the funds for it, you know? Why would they need the funds? They're on CBS. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, there's no guarantee that these things are going to happen. This may be one big joke for all we know. It's like James with Preacher. Until he sees it physically in front of him, it doesn't exist. So for all we know, this is somebody trolling us. <laughs> sure. Like that trailer was just an elaborate multi-million dollar trolling technique. That's mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck CBS All Access. Why would they troll us like that? <laughs> um and then uh moving on, um the uh the Ghostbusters 2020 movie that I still really don't know what the heck's going on in it has Paul Rudd in it. So I now know it has Paul Rudd in it. That's cool. And the original cast, I guess, too. But uh so yeah, cool. Um you know, there are there are also good Ghostbusters movies to watch. You can watch the first one, the second one, or that really cool 2016 film. 
Um, Should we all boycott it just to get revenge for the people who boycotted the female version? I mean, to be honest, I I, I, I go to see every movie anyway, so, but like... I mean, I'm going to see it, but can we, we'll just pretend that we, we were, were angry enough that we would not see it, just mm. out of spite? No, don't don't let the terrorists win. <laughs> <laughs> By terrorists, I mean the people who hated the first one, <laughs> or the first reboot. Um, no, um... Cut that. Um, though the uh, uh, don't tell me what to do. I'm just kidding. Um, I don't know. I mean, like it's gonna be a movie. I mean, Jason Reitman being behind it is interesting enough for me to want to watch it. But I am. It still irks me a little bit that they even had to do this. Um, but you know, business being what it is, they're gonna do whatever they can to keep that IP going because Sony doesn't have a lot to hold on to other than Spider-Man. Uh, or I'm sorry, they do have Venom. Uh, that they can hold on to. It's interesting that they got Paul Rudd. I mean, I know he's like ageless, but he's also he is almost fifty, mm. or is he is fifty? Maybe he's playing a ghost in it. Um, I doubt, like I can see if they were doing like a remake, he could pull off the Venkman part. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's like if, if, I think the goal if you get this rebooted successfully, you're you want to make a franchise that keeps on going. So uh, it's interesting that they would put him in the. Le- Probably the lead. I don't know. Maybe he's not the lead. I don't know. But it feels like if you're going to announce it and get the hype going that, yeah, Paul Red's probably the lead. I I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean speculating. it's more than likely a movie we'll have to review at some point. So, sure. Yeah. But we'll, we'll talk about it then. Um, in uh, fun news, uh, Taika Waititi is going to make a Flash Gordon animated movie for Disney. And that sounds fucking awesome. <laughs> Maybe you should finish one of his other things first. Oh, <laughs> Whoa. I've just problems with Taika Waititi. Hey, he, he's busy. He's getting things going. He's moving, buddy. He's moving. Why am I talking like that? I don't know. Uh, How much more news do you got? Uh, not that much. Um, AMC is putting out an artisan films label to boost smaller movies. And the first one they decided to boost was Yesterday, which is not really a small film. It definitely has some money behind it. So Yeah, it ruined my fancy movie league this week. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> you got a problem with Danny Boyle today? <laughs> yeah, it, I I I put seven of seven of yesterday and one of I forget what else, but in my I'm in four leagues. I put seven le- yesterdays and then one other like small thing in my my main lineup. My I don't know how I even got in this league lineup, and then Real Nerds and Alamo. I did a different lineup that wasn't that. And they suffered. Oh. <laughs> I think it was Toy Story 4 and Rocket Man. So your point is is that Danny Boyle should stop making movies. Is that your point? He should stop making movies that people want to go see and then ruin my lineup. Okay. Well, uh, there, he's not going to do that. Um, uh, so, sorry. Um, but, yeah, no, this uh, this label's basically like the Draft House recommends for AMC, yeah. essentially, is what they're going to do. They're going to keep the movies in theaters longer than normal, and they're going to kind of boost the profile of them. Uh, I like this idea. I would love them to try to do it on an even smaller scale and maybe pick some films that aren't just like within the like because I mean yesterday is like I think it's Focus or Universal one of the two but like it's not like a it's a mid-range movie um, which those do need boosting but like I'd love to see it for like even smaller films too. Um, so it's a good idea. I hope it uh, is able to expand in some capacity. Uh, and the last piece of news, guys, I want to reassure you that the Country Bear Jamboree won't be replaced at Disney World after all. Uh, it will not go away. So if you like those annoying dumb bears, go ahead. You could you could do it. 
I, I'm, I, I don't know what kind of person you are, but you can do it. So anyway, that's news. Uh, Blu-rays? What, what are we going to buy this week? Not a whole lot. DVD releases and Blu-rays. Yeah, it's literally... Um, there's only two actual new releases. Uh, the Best of Enemies, um, which is Taraji P. Henson and Sam Rockwell. Um, you can pick that up. I haven't seen it. Um, I'm curious about it, but I, I've heard it's um, not that great, but whatever. Um, and then Escape Plan, The Extractors, which is Stallone and uh, Batista and Jackson. Uh, and so, you know, you can check that out. Curtis Jackson. Uh, Curtis 50 Cent Jackson. Um but other than that, it's uh, Vinegar Syndrome and Kino Loper putting out stuff. Uh, Vinegar Syndrome's putting out Putney Swope, Taking Tiger Mountain, The Passing, Night Owl, uh, and Kino Loper's putting out Le Dolos, uh, Le Professional, and Bob Le Flambleur. So all things that Ryan won't want to watch. Uh, Leon Maureen Priest. God, I can hear him getting bored all the way from over here. And The here. Outsider, uh, which has Jean-Paul Belmondo. Uh, so, yeah, you can check that out. Uh, and then uh, also uh, a film coming out called An Acceptable Loss, which has Tina Sumter and Jamie Lee Curtis. So, hey, Jamie Lee Curtis is in another movie. Go ahead and check that out. Uh, also, Emilio Estevez's film The Public, which I heard had mixed reception, but, hey, maybe give it a chance. Uh, and other than that, there is nothing else but anime, lots and lots of anime that I will never watch. I'll let you know that the – the listings for the Iron Man Thor Steelbooks finally went on Best Buy. So oh, you can, shit. Unfortunately, they're only available for street or for shipping, so I'm not going to place an order just yet until they start putting them in stores. There you go. Because you do not want to ship a Steelbook. You do not Trust me. You do, no, no ship the Steelbook. I did it twice, and both times they came dented, so I will wait till they populate the stores. I was sad regarding a Steelbook on Saturday because they ran out of the Us Steelbook, so I was too late. At least at Park Meadows. I'm going to check at uh, South Glen. That's why you order online. You have it saved at the store. You go pick it up at your leisure. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sorry I'm not as cool as you. Yeah, well, you'll learn, little one. Is you'll it learn. Little. <laughs> <laughs> whoa. I know you're older than me, but whoa. Uh, anyway, that's Blu-rays. Yeah, well, they're also doing a... Uh, this I didn't see this coming. They're doing a four-steelbook set of the Avengers movies. Yeah, but they're not doing an Infinity Saga big old bundle that I will never be able to afford, are they? What? Like a, like like all the films, like all 22 of them? You know, I probably at some point, but not not this year, yeah. probably. But are the so is that four film bundle for the Avengers is that all steelbook? Yeah. Or, okay, cool. Right, it's no. like the um Harry, Harry Potter, Potter set. Uh, it's like that you know, that round box with the foam inserts and the stands. The thing is, the art for the steelbooks, though, is all the A's from the teaser posters, which so I wanted. So it's in unison. Huh? So it's in unison with a theme. Yeah, it's un- uniformity. Yeah. Um. So, anyway. No. Oh. It's it, That's coming out if you want to spend 150 bucks on rebuying those in 4K. Uh, I've yeah. already got Infinity War in 4K. I'll get Endgame in 4K. I'll be fine. Um. So, yeah, I guess that brings us to what we've been watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Brad, what have you been watching? Yeah, Brad, what have you been watching? I'm glad you asked. Tell uh, me what the fuck you've been watching. So, I went to the drive-in and I watched Toy Story 4 again for the second time. Did it make you cry a second time? Um, It was a more... Obviously, I didn't have some asshole fucking talking through the whole thing, so that made the experience way more pleasant, and I got to... I got to 
experience all the emotional beats that I expected. Right. And yeah, it's, it's great. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's not the dynamic climactic sequence of three. Um, but I just, I just think the, the concept of giving Woody his, his time to do his own thing, uh, it's probably something that never crossed my mind. Like uh, studying his motivation, like, uh, where, what's his purpose? What's his, like, it's, 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 there's the drive, the drive of toys in general to like be to, like to help children. Um, it's, it's, it's questioning the sentience, uh, thing that's haunted the series the whole time, which is like, why can they come to life? And it doesn't answer it directly, but it like brings an emotional quality to yeah. it. Yeah. Or why, do, not how they, how do they come to life, but like, why do they come yeah, to why, life? Yeah. Why, like, why, what's the reason for that? Um, Godzilla, I got to rewatch cause that's the second feature. Um, I notoriously fell asleep through my first and only screening of it. And the second one, uh, filled in some of those gaps, but really <laughs> didn't, uh, um, I, I, I definitely missed a lot more than I thought I did. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, obviously a lot of those parts were the parts where we, uh, kind of get to understand the characters better. Right. Um, but yeah, like it's really the only thing worth watching is the spectacle of it. Right. Um, actually seeing more of the, the mother, daughter, father story, um, didn't really like, it actually seemed cheesier. Um, and then, uh, I didn't watch Aladdin. So that was that I left early. Um, (laughs) let's see. Uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Um, the, the 50% off criterion sales going on. So I, uh, I picked up a police story. Did you manage to watch any of them or? Yeah. Police story one. Uh, looks great. It's a fun movie. Um, (laughs) It went by it went by way faster than when I watched it in the theater, um, and yeah, that end fight sequence in the mall is just one of the cinema's greatest action sequences ever. Is it split up like a disc for each one kind of thing, or did they do yeah. it? Yeah, or, or? it's a it's a paper paper box uh, it has a, uh, uh, you know, like most of them you, they slide in yeah. from the side. This one is a, a slip cover that kind of slides over the whole thing, like Mister Shows. Oh, okay, I got gotcha. you. And so, yeah, it comes out, and it f- it's a trifold, but two of them are the discs for mm-hmm. each movie. Oh, nice. So, yeah, it's a beautiful set. Perfect. But, uh, yeah, it's 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 weird, because, like, each of the criterions I'm getting now are a different package. Like, for a while there, it was all just clear jewel cases, and then, like, Princess Bride's a book. Uh, Night of Living Dead is a paper slide-out. Yeah. Um, Fantastic Mixture Fox is a paper slide-out, but it's, like, twice as thick and it has like another book in it um so i don't know like you picked the complicated ones as far as uniformity goes my criterion wall is just like up and down anyway hey i I, i'll throw you for a loop when i got the uh guillermo del toro trilogy it's not even the shape of a traditional box so it just sticks out like a sore thumb yeah but it makes it unique (laughs) um yeah i guess that's it yeah, you weren't alone. I picked up uh, I picked up the Night of the Hunter Criterion, uh, the USC, UCLA restoration from 2010, and boy, that thing looks amazing. But, um, but anyway. Anyway, I feel like I'm missing something, but whatever. Yeah. What did you watch? Uh, I watched a bunch of stuff uh, in the interim, so sit tight, guys. Um, uh, I rewatched Rear Window. 
uh, for the Hitchcock series. Um, and you can hear what I thought about Rear Window on the new Shamley Silhouette, which will be coming later in the week. Uh, my guest is Aaron Pendergast, who's been on the show before, and he sat down with me to chat about Hitchcock, Rear Window, and the tiny meticulous details in Hitchcock for about an hour and a half. So it's a fun little segment that'll correlate with the articles that'll be going into part two of that series. Um, uh, I went and saw Rocket Man. Mm. Uh, which I loved. I loved it a lot. Really? I think, well, one, this is a big step up from... Let me something... try to change your mind. Just no. <laughs> Stop it. What are you, my sister? Um, uh, the uh, No, I really liked it. Um, Wait, is your sister not like she Ellen John? She, she, you know, she, just, she saw it last night and she didn't like it. And okay. I, and I was not going to try to convince her. Um, no, uh, I mean, like, in, in the realm of biopic, yes, it follows the same beats as, like... Bohemian Rhapsody, but it is creative and unique. It's more of a musical. It, mu- well, it's a musical, but it's also it's creative and unique in its approach on how to hit those beats in a in a more dynamic way. And I think that the story itself, or at least the way it's being performed, is much more compelling than what Bohemian Rhapsody accomplished. Like, there's more to dig into emotionally in Rocket Man. Um, I I am able to sit with those characters and understand them better. Um, Taron Edgerton is great in this fucking flick. He is wonderful. Uh, this is, you know, for, for coming from having seen him in the two Kingsman movies, like this is a whole 180 degree. Um, and Jamie Bell is amazing as his partner. I think, I think they do really good work together in the movie. So anyway, yeah, rocket man is a great flick. Um, I would definitely check it out. Um, it's, it's shorter. I think it's shorter than Bohemian Rhapsody. Actually, I don't know, but it, like it, it, it felt like an experience, but it didn't like prolong itself too much or feel too short either. Like it was just the right amount of time. It was pretty perfect in that respect. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, uh, I would check it out. It's a pretty wonderful film. Um, I, uh, I went through Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, Five, and Six again. Um, cause like the last time I went through Friday the 13th movies, I stopped at three because of just whatever reason. Um, but, uh, so Friday the 13th part four or Friday the 13th, the final chapter as Ryan will put it, uh, still a fun flick, you know, got Corey Feldman hacking Jason at the end with a machete, um, Crispin Glover, Crispin Glover getting laid and then asking where the corkscrew is. And then, ha, Jason shows him where the corkscrew is. I noticed in that film, I think Jason's just a frustrated comedian. Because he seems to hit every punchline very well. Like, anytime somebody asks a question, he has an answer, like a vaudeville comic. It's pretty awesome. Like, Ted, where's the corkscrew? <gasps> Here's your corkscrew! You know, like, stuff like that. He, he, he has a good call and response to that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, then I watched Party of the 13th Part 5, The New Beginning, uh, which is really just Roy's radical rampage of revenge. Um, if you don't know this, this is the movie that doesn't have Jason in it. It has Roy, the paramedic, um, as the killer. Uh, it's... It's it's still bad, but it does have. If you, if if I pretend that Roy is that Roy is actually Jason, there's some interesting Jason kills. Um, but it also is like just filled like it's nothing but a sea of boobs and stuff like that. It's directed by Danny Steinem, who was a porn director, so it's just it it focuses too much on one factor and not on another factor, and it is poorly directed. Um, although there are moments in the film that are interesting, but they are not executed quite correctly it's kind of hard to describe and also it does a disservice to tommy jarvis as a character because it kind of turns him into nothing which sucks um and uh but 
Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, immediately corrects that and turns it into a fun movie. Tom McLaughlin's masterpiece, obviously. Um, it's still a fun flick. Uh, and it's it's a soundtrack all, d- all done for the most part by Alice Cooper, so you can't go wrong there. Except Tommy Jarvis. Why dig him up? <laughs> he had to be sure. He had to be sure. And I think he wanted to scare Rorschach from Welcome Back, Carter. <laughs> I think he really wanted to do that. Um but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's still a fun flick. I mean, like my, my favorite parts of the films are the fact that like it, they there's, so there's kids in the camp for the first time in this series, like actual kids in the camp. And, uh, the, one of the lines, uh, uh, like where they keep cutting back to the kids, like, oh, like we're dead, like totally dead. And one of the kids goes like, so what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> uh, and, um, just the different cut arounds and stuff like that. Like it, it's a very self-aware, smart movie. It's scream before scream. So it was fun revisiting it. Um, I, uh, in preparation for our, one of our movies this week, I finally sat down and watched the first two Annabelle films. Uh, so I saw the first Annabelle, which has problems. I think it's pretty aimless and doesn't know exactly what it wants to do. It's got great concepts. Um, the 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 plot of the first Annabelle spinoff is the Annabelle doll comes into the possession of a of a of a of a young couple who's about to have their kid and kind of like it just infiltrates their lives uh, via that in the sixties uh, and it ties into the cult craze mentality like the 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 killer cult uh, phenomenon. Um, there's a bit of Manson chicanery going on in the opening scenes of the film involving a girl who's obsessed with the doll. Um, I think the film has a hard time targeting what stylistically it wants to do. Like this, it feels like this movie really wants to be Rosemary's baby, but has no idea how to be Rosemary's baby. Um, or like the omen or any kind of child possession film of that nature. Um, but Alfre Woodard is in it and she's good. Uh, so give Alfre Woodard more things to do. Um, see Star Trek first contact for that. Uh, but I watched Outerbell creation right after that. And that movie's really good. And, by the end of it, makes the first Annabelle somewhat more cohesive and better. Um, uh, Annabelle creation is basically the origin of the doll. Um, uh, the doll was created by Anthony LaPaglia and his wife, Miranda Otto, uh, who are basically just uh, a couple living out in, like, it seems like the Midwest in the in the 40s, uh, and their daughter dies in a car crash, and then jump years later, a uh, group of orphan girls come to live at the house where Anthony LaPaglia has become kind of like a uh, a hermit and he takes care of his wife, Miranda Otto, who's an invalid at this point, and stuff starts happening around the house. Um, the doll is involved. Uh, it's a very small-scale, intimate Annabelle movie um, that really taps into... Like, the first Annabelle, I don't feel like, really taps into the characters as well as this one does. Uh, this one really makes you feel for the characters. Like one of the the lead girl who is a prominent part of the story is uh, stricken by polio at the beginning, so she's got a disability. So she already feels like the weaker one, and the, so therefore that's her reasoning for why she, the spirit is seeking her out is because she's the weakest. And there's a lot of like di- discussions about faith and that and stuff like that. Um, but it's it's a s- slick one hour and forty three minutes that tells a really good story. And the ending of the film ties into the first Annabelle really well. Um, so that's something that you'll uh, want to check out if you want to do catch up on the Annabelle and the Conjuring Universe series, definitely. 
Uh, and then the last thing that I saw uh, was a little film from uh, Mick Garris, uh, Critters 2 Mick Garris, called Nightmare Cinema. Uh, Nightmare Cinema is an anthology uh, film consistent of five segments by five different directors. So you have Mick Garris, you have Joe Dante, you have David Slade, you have Alejandro Brugias, who did Juan of the Dead, and then you have Rahiu Kitamura, um, who did the Midnight Meat Train. Um, and the basic wraparound of the film is that it's about a projectionist played by Mickey Rourke, who is the curator of, uh, I think it's a million nightmares and, a, uh, a, and a thousand, uh, souls. And he basically, he, sh people will wander into the theater. They'll see their nightmare or their biggest fear. And then he, uh, collects their soul and they're not, and, and just basically they die. Um, so that's the catalyst for the anthology element of it, which is seeing these different uh, dreams on the screen, which are the, the which are the different shorts. Uh, right from the get go, this anthology sets itself out to be one of the most inventive and fun in years. Um, uh, Alejandro's is the first one, and it's basically a loving homage to Evil Dead slasher movies and also Alien Invasion movies, and it's it's a fun, crazy, hyper active experiment in uh how to hit every story beat within the span of like it seems like 15 minutes and it works really well it's super funny the second uh segment is joe dante and he it, it seems like it's an homage to the uh the uh sur plastic surgery episode in the twilight zone but it's taken to like a cranked up degree like take that episode and dial it up to a thousand um and it has richard chamberlain in the um uh in the in the story playing the plastic surgeon so that's kind of funny um and uh the final result is this makeup kind of deal that's bonkers uh and then you have kitamura's segment which takes place in a uh catholic school and i don't want to spoil this one because it gets batshit crazy and to spoil it would be a disservice um and then david slade's segment which is a very it feels like a Lynchian affair in shot in black and white uh, that is based uh, apparently off of a concept that he was trying to develop into a feature. And then Mick Garris asked him if he could do it into a uh, smaller uh, segment for the uh, Nightmare Cinema. And then the final one is Mick Garris's, which is very much a it has a sixth sense quality to it. But it also just feels like a lot of the Mick Garris Stephen King adaptations where there's a heart to it, but there is a genuine terror to it. Um why I say that this is one of the most inventive and fun uh, anthologies in years is because it's one of the few anthologies that I've seen where there's not a there's no bad segment in Nightmare Cinema, um, and I and it's and therefore it's very hard for me to pick a favorite. If I really had to narrow it down, I'd say Kitamura's segment, like was like the most insane and what the fuck. Uh, Slade's is the most interesting and. Uh, Dante's and um, Alejandro's are the most inventive and fun, and then Mick Garris's is the most heartwarming. So, like, there's different ways to describe them. So, I had a lot of fun with this, and the wraparound's really fun. Mickey Rourke looks like he's having a fun time doing it. Um, it almost seems like he's not there that often, but I like that because if we get more, we can maybe go down into him a little bit more. Um, apparently, they want to do this as a TV show, so I would love to see them be able to tackle this further and get more directors because the original concept apparently because I'd listened to him talk about it on postmortem he wanted to do 
basically masters of horror uh, master for, masters of horror as an international affair where he got different directors from different countries to do this and this is basically what he was able to do with it at the time so um yeah nightmare cinema check it out you can't see it in theaters right now unfortunately but it is on prime or, or, or on amazon video and itunes uh to rent or to buy um i would check it out and you know heck if you could find a way to get it into your local theater please do and then i'll come and watch it again because i fucking had fun with this flick so anyway that's all i watched this week are you sure? Yeah. Because... Oh, I, I also watched everything ever. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. I don't think we have time for that. So um, no, we're going to right now. Citizen Kane, one of the greatest. No. Stop. I control the switchboard. <laughs> uh, no, but we are, we're going to come back to you because uh, this week uh, you watched Annabelle's forget, forgettable sub- subtitle. Annabelle Comes Home, guys. Annabelle Comes Home. Zach, should people go see Annabelle Come Home? Well, first of all, this title isn't forgettable because it's very important to the plot. Uh, yes, I would go see Annabelle Comes Home. Uh, this was actually one of my... F- this may be one of my favorite things about the Conjuring universe, like or like entries in the Conjuring universe. Uh, this is basically a John Hughes movie or like a high school party movie with ghosts in it and demons and shit. Um it's it's a fun affair, um, and it's a little low stakes, but I appreciate that, so I get a nice little ghost story going on. Uh, the performances are wonderful, uh, and I like seeing Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga coming back and doing some stuff. So, uh, yes, I would definitely check out Annabelle Comes Home. Here's the trailer for Annabelle Comes Home. What's this? You folks need to turn around. Pretty bad accident up ahead. Anything we can do? You're a doctor or something? Or something. Nice doll. That's what you think. Did it work? The evil is contained. <laughs> How could you not tell me you're babysitting for the Warrens tonight? We'll be back early tomorrow morning. Have fun. Don't your parents keep any creepy stuff around? You keep it all locked away in a room. It's not good for anyone to go in there. My dad says that everything in there is either haunted, cursed, or used in some ritualistic practice. What's that? The fairy man. They put coins all over the eyes of the dead so he could take their souls. What about the doll that's in there? Annabelle. She's in a case for a reason. for other spirits. Mrs. Warren? Mom? Is everything okay? Something is happening inside your house and we're not really sure what to do. Can I speak to Annabelle? I'm sorry? You need to give her a soul, dear. She wants us. 
So, Brad, you are not familiar with the Conjuring universe at all, whatsoever, are you? Uh, uh, did I see? I can't remember if you told me you saw the first Conjuring. I don't know because Patrick Wilson's also in what the uh, Insidious one too, so they all look the same to me. Wow, wow. I, I'm not wrong. No, you're not. Yeah. No, you're no, you're no, you are wrong. Sorry. My, what am I saying? You are wrong. In, insidious. The Conjuring, the Nun, the Insidious the, stuff. No, they no, all look the, the same. The insidious is Lee Wannell and James Wan doing their thing, and then the Conjuring is James Wan and Gary Doberman doing their thing. Well, they should have cast different people because it looks like the same fucking movie with Patrick Wilson in it. <laughs> These just whatever. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, it's it, you know what. It's cool because Patrick Wilson gets to be part of two great ghost franchises. Um, and John Clyde Van Damme has done how many horror franchises? None. That's right. Excuse me. Are you sure? I don't know. Has he? He's got some French films that I can't get my hands on. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to stay that way, I guess. I don't <laughs> know. Um, but no, Annabelle comes home. Uh, so if you're, if anybody listening out there, if you're familiar with the Annabelle series as I described it earlier and what we've been watching, uh, at this point, Annabelle uh, uh, comes home, starts off with the acquisition of Annabelle by the Warrens, um, which you do see in the first film. Uh, it then cuts a year later. They've already put Annabelle in the case, had it have it blessed once a week. That's part of the shtick from the first film, which is it's a wonderful shtick. Um, but uh, and the movie doesn't really involve uh, Ed and the rain. It involves their daughter, Judy, and they basically leave for a. Uh, for something. I don't remember what they're supposed to, they're leaving for. Maybe another case. <coughs> but they have um, uh, Judy's babysitter come to stay the weekend with her. Uh, and Judy's babysitter, um, Ellen, has a friend named uh, Daniela who really wants to come into the Warren's house to see the artifact room, um, which at first it seems like she's trying to um, uh, like make fun of the Warrens and tease them. But what you find out is that Daniela is genuinely interested in finding the artifact room because she wants to find a way to contact her recently deceased father because she feels guilty thinking that she might have killed him in the car wreck that they were in um, or that it was her fault. So right away, everything that I'm expecting Annabelle comes home to be in terms of a typical by the numbers manages to grab me emotionally from different aspects. Um, All the characters in this film are extremely likable. Um, you know, from Judy, the, 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 the daughter of the Warrens to the babysitters, uh, to the boy that the babysitter has a crush on. Um, it, 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 it's just a lovely film. Like, and I found a way to describe the film. The film is, um, you know, like the, some of the like high school party movies, like high school sex comedies where they're just like, we're going to have a party, but oh shit, my parents are coming home. We've got to clean up. It's basically that, but with ghosts, like, and it does that really well like it doesn't there's no high stakes in this film other than the lives i guess in the house but like but like in terms of the whole universe like it's a very insular affair um and it's one of those horror films that has an optimistic ending that i really appreciate it like i mean i do like my dreary ending and you know feeling in sorrow but i do like to feel uplifted and this one manages to take you through hell and then bring you out clean on the other side to a degree um, and it's, it's, there's some great scares in it. It introduces a lot of different concepts into the conjuring universe that I enjoy, uh, seeing visually, um, how they'll work in future segments has yet to be seen. Um, and, uh, like I said, just, it's, it, it proves that this is the one 
universe outside of Marvel that I enjoy watching the most because it's um, it, it, it's a creative realm that allows horror filmmakers or horror enthusiasts to play around in. It's like a fun little sandbox, you know, and they get a lot, they get a decent amount of money to do them, like not a bunch, but enough to do some fun stuff. And the visual effects and horror effects in this film are pretty phenomenal. Um, there's only one or two things that look a little too CGI. Um, but the, the majority of it is kept enough in the shadows that it has a realistic feel. Uh, and for all I know, some of them are practical because I thought the crooked man from conjuring two was CGI. And it turns out that's a practical effect, um, combined with an actual actor. So, you know, you never know the conjuring universe tends to throw me for a loop sometimes on that. Uh, and Patrick Wilson, you don't get to hear him too thoroughly, but he does play guitar at the end of the film. So if you're a fan of that from conjuring two, you'll like this film. So I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. Um, and I saw it first in my uh, in my double feature before the next film we're going to talk about. And so I came off the high of this film. And then we get to Chucky. Yay, solo reviews. Yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of tough. Yeah, sorry. No, it's fine. No, no, dude, it's fine. Like, I, I, I hope people go see it because I do want the Conjuring series to keep going. The only one in the series I haven't seen is The Curse of La Girona. And it's the only because I was stupid enough to not think this was part of the Conjuring universe. But... It, Brian saw it and said it was, and I, I need. To I mean, check it's it not out. supposed to be. It's a it's a Spanish fable, so. But I guess it's part of it. They appropriated but. it anyway. Um, so we saw another movie this week. We saw yeah. Child's Play. The, Child's Play twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Zach, should people see Child's Play twenty nineteen? I think you can rent it if you're really that wanting to. I don't think this is a bad movie. I think my bias there there's there must be a bias in me on this because I didn't have fun. Um, I think that the film has a problem having the fun it wants to think it's having. So like it, it's tough to describe, but like we'll get to it in the review. But I really like Mark Hamill in the movie, but I don't think they give him enough to do as a voice actor. Um, I think the animatronics look cool. I just think that the overall concept of turning Chucky into an AI system is a little misguided. Um, but there are things to like about this film, and I'll definitely talk about them in the review. Uh, Brad, should people see Child's Play 2019 starring the great Mark Hamill? Uh, first of all, the promos ahead of it, $89 for a VHS of Child's Play. You what? didn't watch that? Oh, you went to AMC. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I went to AMC. Um, at the Alamo, the pre-show, they did commercials of Chucky from the 90s, you know. When they, right, 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 they, right, yeah, yeah. And one of, he, there was like this long promo, which I assume was like for a, a, a trade show promo. Yeah. Uh, for the VHS release. And the VHS was $89. Uh, Batman was, Batman 89 was around that price. If you listen to some older, like, Smodcast, they Holy talk about that. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, I'm used to them being $20 towards the end of their life cycle. So I know some of them were expensive early on, but... I mean, that was just 1990. People wanted their Chucky tape, man. I, I guess, yeah. It, oh, it was always like disappearing and reappearing on the grocery store shelves, man. That's how I know it was popular. Can you be, imagine being a, a VHS collector in like 1990 and being like, yep, 90 bucks for home entertainment. <laughs> I'll just get out my cash. Uh, no, um, I prefer Laserdisc. Uh, it's the superior format. Anyway, uh, the movie itself, yeah, it's... um. I don't know. I was I was pretty bored throughout it. Uh, the the concept of Chucky being an AI malfunction 
um, intentional malfunction, I guess, um, is okay. I just, uh, yeah, Mark Hamill, it's the serial killer being implanted in a a doll is a way more interesting um, concept that you can do more with. Mm -hmm. Uh, Having him as an AI that's really... We'll talk about it more, but it, it, it just kind of hamstrings him into being like, if he, he feels less menacing. Yeah. Um, and then the end seems really edited. Like uh, characters just kind of come out of nowhere um, and stuff just kind of happens. It, it feels like the movie is kind of over itself before it gets to the finale. <laughs> like just kind of run out of like, oh yeah, we, maybe we don't. We're at, we're at, we're we're done with this idea. Uh, let's just get to the end. Yeah. So yeah, it's um you could skip it. Um. Yeah. I'm okay. It's it's fine. It's fine. All right. So here's the trailer for Child's Play 2019. At Caslon, we believe that happiness is about more than entertainment. It's about being known, understood, loved. Introducing your new best friend. People, let me tell you about my best So right off the bat, they changed the story. Uh, instead of a serial killer being like magically implanted in this, um, oh, you could say it is voodoo, voodoo <laughs> into a doll, uh, a sweatshop worker in Vietnam who is falling upset, behind in his work and upset because he's being treated like a fucking slave. He's getting yelled at by his boss. Yeah. Um, decides, hey, I'm going to. Take take down all the safeguard programming of this doll, and then I'm going to commit suicide, and then jump out the window. And it's just like, I mean, you could just jump out the window. You don't have to like disable. Well, it was an act of revenge. But like, his boss isn't getting the doll. The doll's getting shipped to America. Like, who's because get- he might feel disgruntled by the fact that he's making this toy for some first world kid, like you know, or like or first world family, like then that- show his resentment, then show his resentment towards America. But the m- movie only shows that he's just kind of bummed out by his boss. I, you know, like, so it seems indirect again, though, this movie doesn't flesh out a lot of details that it should. Yeah. And that, that's a, that's an area that you could do a lot in for any movie, not even a child's play movie, but any movie. And they kind of just use it as an excuse of how the doll gets evil instead of expanding on it. Like, I mean, like when he's the serial killer, it's clear his motivation is revenge or well not even revenge it's get a new body and be able to live again and kill a bunch of people while doing it yeah oh and get back at that one guy that betrayed him and then also the end of the movie spoils that oh more dolls have been deprogrammed yeah um so it's like so all these questions are popping up are there other disgruntled workers in the sweatshop deprogramming them or is it just like 
Like obviously it's a, it's just a tease like Yeah, or do, or do the events of But in the actual story it's like how can there be another doll that's also murderous and why haven't they already killed yet? Yeah. Well, and again, nothing's terribly defined in the film. Yeah. But it's um, frustrating to watch cuz I'm like Yeah, no, the the main story of the film with Andy and Aubrey Plaza as his mom does is it, it's obviously the central focus, but that even wavers a little bit. And like And then the relationship <laughs> between Andy and the doll um, it's. I will say, that could have been interest more interesting. Yeah, because they don't really play up like if they had, um, like because the AI system really wants to kind of do its job. Uh-huh. If Andy had rejected it more, I think uh, it would, it would be, be more compelling because then it would give him more reason to like go after Andy. Yeah, and make him be his friend. Yeah, but instead he just kills other people. Yeah, uh, and it, it annoys it's, Andy. Yeah, it's like we we were friends, but now I need to impress you more to be even more your friend, which is. And then Andy's got those like sociopath friends who are just like, like their first uh, after uh, Buddy or the Buddy doll kills, or Chucky kills their first does the first killing. Yeah, uh, their instinct is not to tell people. They're like, well, let's let's engage in a cover up. Yeah. Um, like and again, a- and they're by the way, they're they're ill developed. Tell they they are they are the definition of underdeveloped sidekick. If you've ever heard one, like there's an attempt here to to make it like a losers club type of vibe that just obviously doesn't work. Or I guess I guess the Netflix term would be Stranger Things in it or whatever. Yeah. Um. But like the and. And on top of that, too, like there's a Stranger Kids thing. There's a Stranger Ki- Things kid in it. <laughs> oh, which? Uh, oh, that's right. No, never mind. I'm, I forget his name, but he's the one who inherits Chucky. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. No, uh, no, yeah. He plays the kid who has the buddy doll after Andy, yeah. um, and calls him a different name and trying to get him to say this is for Tupac. That was see, see, that's the thing. There are some funny moments in this yeah. film, though, for a ch- for a child's play movie what remake. Was this, that other name was funny. What was it? It's like garbage or something. What do you call? What do you name Chucky? Um, oh, I can't remember. Doofus or something. I don't remember. But it's don't no, it's Stranger Things kid that gives him a different name. That's what I'm. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what that name was. Like Colton or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah. It's like a c word or something. This is kind of funny. Anyway, uh, but he, I like how he tells him like the Stranger Things kid tells him like, "Hey, salute your master," and just like gives him a salute. Um, the robotics in this film are fun, though. I will say, like, it is a fun like there is and it's his cl- face though is so oh, yeah. weird. It's it's a little it's way more off putting than the good guy doll in the first film whatever yeah. was like even when chucky's mad in the original films it feels believable this feels like they had no idea how to properly give it's it's that thing of we want realism but realism can be off-putting like anthropomorphizing it is better in this scenario there was one shot uh, i think when chucky first the first time he finds a knife and takes it the arm is CGI and it's really bad. Oh yeah, um, but but I'm glad that they use animatronics for a big chunk of it. The yeah, film. like because they didn't have to do that. Like that is immediately something in the CG era that would have immediately been like glossed over and done with. Like we wouldn't even had the robot. So I'm thankful that they did something with it. But like at the very end, it becomes CGI crazy. Like it almost looked like 
of a somewhat weird version of that Ready Player One Chucky that stabs people in the final battle in in uh, in the uh, game. Yeah, but overall, like all the dolls are so hideous. Like it's a, it's a wonder they're even that popular. Yeah, like the bear version. Oh my god, <laughs> it looks like a burnt child. Yeah, and I again like. There's an idea here, and I, and maybe this is my problem. But I don't feel like if you wanted to do a concept like this, okay, cool. Don't drag Childs. Don't drag Chucky into it. Like, find a way to do it your own way on a lower scale. Or, or, or like, like, I know they're relying on IP, and I know that that's the o- one of the only things that Orion and MGM have at this point in terms of IP to work with. Um, at least until Bill and Ted face the music makes a billion dollars at the box office and fulfills every dream of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I, this concept would have been better if it didn't have Chucky attached to it because lest we forget, we've got two great Chucky movies that were direct to video that were fun to watch where it was curse of Chucky or cult of Chucky, you know, like, yes, they may not be like the pinnacle of horror, but they are good Chucky movies. Um, you know, the rat poison scene in curse of Chucky is a still amazing core, um, or a good horror. But like, anyway, my point is, is that. I don't feel like you needed to drag the child's play legacy into this particular concept. I think you could have done something fairly similar to your initial story without dragging the Chucky name into it. Yeah. Like, or the buddy doll too. Yeah. Like in 2019, it makes sense to go. It makes sense to use that concept of him being like an AI that can control other things, but him being a serial killer is way more interesting as a character. You lose the character. So he has more charisma. My problem with, because I like Mark Hamill in the movie. I think he does a fine job. My problem is the way they wrote Chucky, because the way they wrote Chucky was that he just basically repeats things other people say or anything that's programmed into him. He has absolutely no personality, even when he's. Uh, by the time we get to the end, he doesn't really have a personality. He does sound like just a killer robot. He does not sound like a. There's a joke on a show that uh, Henry and I listen to when they, whenever they review a Child's Play movie. But Chucky does usually do this thing when he goes to kill somebody. He goes like, <laughs> like when he lunges at somebody. And in this, he's just kind of like, Meh! and I'm like, it's like, so what? It's your robot. Like, there's no character behind it. The I will say, the scene where the lady has the self-driving car that um, uh, that Chucky manipulates and has it run into the poles and stuff. My favorite kill in the movie is when he's taunting her over the intercom of the car and then goes like, peekaboo, <laughs> and then just like, that is a good Chucky moment. Um, but I, there's nothing else like that in the film. Like, even the boy, even the mom's boyfriend kill, as fun as it is, it seems like it's, it, it's missing the comedic punchline at the end. Cause it's, cause I know it's just AI Chucky repeating the thing he heard before to make it a punchline. I'm like, it's just not working the way a Chucky film should like, you know, like uh, it's a moment that Ryan talks about in the first child's play from, from the eighties. That is really good, which is, you know, the mom shaking the doll, saying something, say something. And then he goes, I'll fucking kill you. You fucking bitch. And that, that's a, that's a moment that does scare you and creates a character for Chucky. And I don't feel I get this at all. Like, there, there's also, like, there's not really good scares in this film. Like, there's, it's a very much a slasher film that is running by 
running by the numbers. It has no real personality to it. Yeah, and also by making him an AI, it almost feels like there's a part of all the kills that are accidental. Mm-hmm. Like, when he's a serial killer, he's intentionally like, I'll kill you, fucking bitch. Yeah. Uh, when it's an AI, it's like, okay, well, yeah, he's killing people, but, like, the machine's just broken. Yeah, that's another thing. There's, there's technically... Is it sympathy or empathy for Chucky? Because he doesn't know that he's doing something wrong because he thinks he's doing something right to be Andy's friend. There's there's a reason for Chucky to kill, and that's weird. Like, or a reason that has that lies in emotion and not diabolical psychotic bullshit. Like, like I mean, like O O G Chucky. I'm a rapper now. O G Chucky, like, has a purpose and for killing, but it's such a selfish purpose that it feels too random. This one feels like it's like it's. It's like a robot trying to find love and affection in the world. And I'm like, that doesn't belong in a Chucky movie, does it? But, you know, I went open, I went in open-minded and I walked out going like, that's about as good as I expected it to be. Um, I mean, and it sucks because like, I, I mean, I like Mark Hamill doing voice work and I think he does really good in this, but I do think that they don't give him enough to do. His song and, at the end is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, and we should. Me- I should mention at least Bear McCrary killing it in the musical scores this year because he is his work in this on the score is one of the standouts of the movie. I think it's a great child's play score for any kind of child's play movie you'd want to make. You stayed all the way to the end, right? No, I didn't. The, the his song, yeah. As it gets closer to like you know the motion picture symbol, like, yeah, it gets creepier and sinister like he yeah. drops his voice and gets deeper and... oh yeah because no, i heard i heard the version on youtube because the soundtrack got released mm. but yeah no yeah it gets yeah um but yeah no like michael said mccrary killing it between godzilla and child's play like that guy needs to keep doing some movies i'd like to see him do a marvel movie so yeah i don't see child's play 2019 or see it it's yeah, up to you. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. What yeah, what the fuck are who the fuck are we? Just We're saying, no, you might be disappointed. Yeah, if if you're a child's play fan, I think you're gonna walk in a little shortchanged. If you don't know what the fuck a Chucky movie is, maybe you'll have fun. Um, again, I went in with baggage that wasn't gonna go away no matter what. And I'm not saying that it's like impossible to like this movie. Like, I mean. All withstanding criticism aside and devotion to the Chucky series, like as a film, it is well produced, well well executed. It's pretty efficient. Like it's only about an hour and twenty three, twenty four minutes. So like it's a nice quick watch. Like it, that's why I say it's a good rental. But I don't, I don't know if you need to spend ten bucks to watch it. But again, just me. So next week we should have a whole gang here for Spider Man: Far From Home. Yep. Spider-Man. Spider-Man comes home. Sp- Spider-Man Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. <laughs> Annabelle Homecoming. <laughs> oh, what if Spider-Man has to fight Annabelle? No. And the insidious monsters. So, yeah. And, and uh, the people from the trench in Aquaman. Uh, yeah, so Spider-Man next week, pretty big event. Uh, comes out on a Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday, July 2nd, yeah. Um, and we should have some new Coke in the house, finally, because I totally... Whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't do drugs on this show. Next week we are. 
Wait, wait. What, how how do you differentiate between new Coke and old Coke? It's all white powder. Oh, you're talking about new the soda. Coke. Ah, yeah. Ah, ah. See, yeah. So, see, there. It makes us to find out what yeah. that what the fuss is about. Yeah. How different does it taste? Let's see what lasted for six months and then went promptly away. Yeah. <laughs> the greatest marketing gimmicks of all time. Yeah. Yeah, stay tuned for uh, our review of Stranger Things and what the tie-ins mean. <laughs> stay tuned for our review of Coke. <laughs> um, Coke cast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Until next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout-out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening, and have a nice day.